everybody. Welcome back into Locked On Suns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today is Osmer host Evan Satter and my co-host Brendan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at eSatter. You can follow Brendan on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Go as far as Locked On Suns, we're going to write at Locked On PHX Suns. Your support over there is very much appreciated as always. We're joining you guys today on our Friday episode here. Two preseason games into the season, Brian, how are we feeling? <sighs> Not great. I mean, anyone who listened last night when we recapped the loss to the Kings probably knows we have some concerns but uh still excited still optimistic like we've been saying and like everyone knows it's kind of tired at this point to say it but it's preseason so it's what it's for is to make the mistakes and iron out the wrinkles and with how short camp and preseason are like it's also probably not going to be perfect on opening night and hopefully they can build throughout the season so this is the very 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 beginning of everything but still i think anyone would also agree it's probably more fun than just hypothetically talking about it. At least we have something to reference at this point and continue to to analyze. So fun week. We got to see two basketball games. That's all I can. It's all I. Uh, I guess I can't complain about anything. Well, on today's show, though, we're going to dive in a little bit deeper on some subjects we haven't really touched on yet on this show, and that's Marquise Chris and Golden State. How that's going for him? Also. We, if you guys know by now, Tyler Ulysses is on a camp deal with the Kings and Dragon Benders with the Bucks. if you want to check out on the, the failed 2016 draft class over there. But we're going to talk about Marquise Chris for a minute with the Golden State Warriors, his chance to making that team, and also the options of both DeAndre and McKilber is being picked up for their third-year team options. Should be absolutely no surprise to anyone here as they're going to be core pieces for the long-term future. Then we're going to talk about Ryan McDonough. I know it's a surprise. It's been about a year since we probably talked about him on this show and really in-depth, but we're going to talk about him and his comments he made recently on a Sirius XM hit about Victor Oladipo, which I found very interesting. Also, we'll recap today's show, talk about the Nuggets game here in a couple days, which will be at Talks to Resort Arena. But, Brennan, let's start off here at the Marquise-Chris situation in Golden State. For the listeners who might not be familiar with what's going on with him, he has been on the team here in a couple of years. What is the 2016 number 8 overall pick? Well, there's been a lot of writing. I think it's just because the uh, Suns are – or, the, sorry, the Warriors are – an interesting team you know of course they were title favorites for so long but now with D'Angelo Russell there and the back half of the roster really getting turned completely upside down they not only hard capped themselves meaning that they because they did a a sign and trade they don't have any ability to go over the cap the the tax for any reason so they really seem to be liking Marquise Chris who played pretty well has some decent chemistry already there that's showing up on offense especially playing in that you know ball movement style that the Warriors are so good at but uh, they don't have the ability to sign him outright he was on a training camp deal and if they want to add him in uh, it's going to take some some gymnastics so it's a completely unexpected story to me we talked about these guys you mentioned Ulysses and Bender we talked about all three of these players and kind of what they were doing around the league uh, maybe a month ago. I was not expecting Marquise Chris to be anyone we would talk about again. Uh, and here we are, because he's impressed so much, he actually seems to have a shot at not only making this roster, but forcing the Warriors to potentially cut another player or trade another player just to make room for him. What I find interesting, he definitely fits like the energy of Bayman style they desperately need in Golden State with the likes of like a Willie Cauley Stein, Kevon Looney. But I'm still seeing Marquise Chris box scores here, like five fouls. I think at this point, 
Marquise Chris is probably just the player he's going to be, which is an energetic big man he can use in pick and roll. Maybe he gets you some secondary rim protection when you need it. But outside of that, he's going to give you a lot of a lot of inconsistency, that's for sure. You don't trust the Warriors at all to, to get more out of him? I mean, I'm not going to say that he was you know not given enough opportunity here or anything but I think it has you have to be we have to be kind of fair to these guys we know a lot of us talk about maybe Dragon Bender or Alex Len or whoever as guys who really could have had a better shot at success in the NBA right away if they had been with another franchise so to say Marquise Chris is just screwed I think is a little unfair I think the Warriors if anyone are going to be the team to get the most out of him they've turned you know much worse big men into decent options here in the past several seasons? Uh, I think it's certainly a possibility. I mean, Chris definitely has the talent to make that sort of leap from the guy we've seen before to like a serviceable NBA player, but I just have my doubts just from what we've seen up and up close before in the last couple of years. But it, it will certainly be interesting to follow along with him there, and especially with the, the point guard there in Golden State, or shooting guard, so to say, D'Angelo Russell, who a lot of Suns fans wanted. So a lot of Suns intrigue on this Warriors team. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and life's going to be a lot easier for Chris than it ever was here with Steph Curry and Draymond Green protecting him on both ends of the floor, you know, each guy kind of doing their part on either end. But uh, it's going to be interesting. They also have an injury to Willie Cauley-Stein. That's part of why Chris is getting another look um, with this team. So I don't know if any Suns fans will watch Warriors games just to revisit the glory days of the Marquise Chris era, but it is interesting, especially kind of with the the topics from today's show, which also look back in our next segment, we're going to look back at some of the what-ifs from the draft, and no one is a bigger one, I think, than Marquise Chris, considering all the, all the lengths that this team went to to get him. We'll get to watch how his career unfolds in a different city now. If you wanted to transition on here, Brendan, to the second part of our first segment today, the team options of DeAndre Aiden and Mikhail Bridges were picked up, and it should be no surprise to anyone, of course, here. But just take a second from what we've seen in the first few preseason games and just looking ahead here, how big of pieces are have already been cemented here between DeAndre Aiden and especially Mikhail Bridges as far as being that maybe two and three to Booker's one right now? Well, they're huge parts of the team. If the Suns are going to get to where they want to get and forget a championship, but even uh, winning, going over 500 and potentially making the playoffs in the near future, they need those two players both to be good, either on this team or as guys who prove enough value to be traded. I don't think Aiton, but maybe more so Mikhail Bridges in the the trade category. So uh, not a surprise. You're right. It's not a surprise necessarily, but just to clarify too, for listeners here, it's the 2020-2021 season. This is their uh, third-year option, so this is not for them to obviously be on the team for this upcoming season, which is already basically here. It's a year out in the future, and they didn't need to do it now necessarily. I think they have uh, till the end of the month, right? Yeah. Okay, 26. Yeah, so, you know, they did it early, and you have to make these decisions a year out, which is a little tough sometimes. We've And we've seen, the, the point I wanted to make is, as obvious as it was, Aiton and Bridges were going to get it. We have seen between Bender and Josh Jackson and, uh, well, I guess Jackson and Chris, the Suns didn't have to make that decision necessarily, but kind of uh, made it for themselves by getting rid of those players before the, the timeline came up. So 
not a surprise, but still nice to see that that 2018 draft was such a clear rebound from the the failures of the past two. Well, I mean, I think you would have to say the Booker class was pretty good to get him. But that's, I mean, but those are the only two that were good at all, in my opinion. I mean, Alex Len, they could have kept him around. I think they burned that bridge. It's a little unfortunate because I think he is a good player, honestly, a good NBA role player. And TJ Warren, you can say what you want, burned that bridge as well, had felt that they needed to get rid of him. So uh, those are just one player, though. So the fact that they went all in in 2018, similar to how they did in 2016, and did really succeed in 2018 that's good because I mean think about how devastating it would have been to do it again two years later in 2018 and fail to the degree that they did in 2016 all over again that really would have been a mistake now the 2018 class is pretty awesome so I think that would have been tough to do there's really no one in the top 10 that is busted out yet a year in here but still, uh, good to see that they found two guys who not only fit together, but showed enough promise already that it was such an obvious thing to just go ahead and accept those options uh, for next season. The last thing I want to hit on here in this segment, Burn, before we close out and go on to our next topic, talking more about Ryan McDonough and his Oladipo comments, which we both found very interesting. But I saw David Nash over at 7 Seconds or Less podcast, a good friend of the show with Max McCauley, his co-host there. He brought up, he, from what he saw last night against the Kings and what Mikhail Burris was doing compared to Kelly Oubre, I know it's an extremely small sample size, their first preseason games of each of them, but it's the cohesiveness that David brought up there. He believes that Mikhail should be in the starting lineup and Kelly should be the sixth man. I think we're both in the camp that Oubre is going to be the starter here, but what's your take on that from what David said? Yeah, I mean, I think Mikhail should be the starting. I, I think he should be the starter I've thought that for a while Uh, I think Kelly probably will be but you know I think Monty has been smart as well to not lock that in yet especially with both of those guys getting injured at the same unfortunate moment right as camp was starting or wherever they got injured they weren't able to participate in camp so that's kept the the window open here and if we're just judging it from what we've been able to see you know we're not privy to what they do off the uh, game court but if we're just judging it from one game, I, I mean, obviously, I think you have to give the favor pretty clearly to Mikhail Bridges right now. So if if that's going to play a part in the decision, we don't know how much it will or won't. There's a pretty high discrepancy between these guys' salary that is unfortunately uh, t- tends to play a pretty big part. But yeah, I mean, Mikhail clearly played better yesterday. Yeah, I would certainly agree there when you look at the box score when we saw last night in Sacramento there. But it will certainly be something to watch here because if Mikhail turns out to be a player who's too good to keep out of the starting lineup, I would just wonder what you do there. Like, let's say in December, if Mikhail's truly breaking out like we think, would it be taking Ubre out of the starting lineup and having him be the sixth man? Or would you just go super small ball at that point and just put Ubre and Bridges together alongside? And that's going to be a question. I think that's going to have a lot of fans curious here if Mikhail does well in his second season in the first part of this year. But before we go on to our next semi, we're going to dive into Ryan Dennis' comments. But before we do that, I want to tell you guys about today's sponsor, which is Manscaped. And Manscaped is number one in men's below the belt grooming. Get 20% off in your free shipping with the first your first order with promo code locked on at manscaped.com. Again, that's promo code locked on, L O C K E D O N. All right, Brian, let's dive now into those comments from Ryan McDonough about Victor Oladipo and his grand plan from when he first became the Suns GM here. 
crazy story. Uh, McDonough is not a not quiet about sharing these little moments from when he was running the Suns, and it's kind of funny. Uh, I it even like the guy made about as many moves trade and not really free agency so much, but in the trade market and especially on draft night as you really can make. And still we hear these stories about all the ones he wishes that he would have made, right? So it's uh, crazy from that standpoint, but also crazy because it's really just not a guy I think that I thought about much in relationship to the Suns because that, that draft just feels like forever ago. It almost feels crazy to think that Ryan McDonough was running the Suns back then. Uh, and I know that was his first draft, but it's it just feels like a lifetime ago that Alex Len was walking onto that stage. And the, the, the story, as McDonough has it, is that they had a deal that at least the Suns thought was pretty close to move up all the way to number one. And they were going to use it on Victor Oladipo. So uh, certainly a different history for the Suns if that happens. And Oladipo is such an interesting guy too to me, Evan, because of the way his early part of his career went with not really being all that impressive in Orlando, getting a big contract kind of because of the you know the last season before he signed it and then going to Oklahoma City where he was completely squelched and then out of nowhere blowing up in Indiana and now the injury. Like he's not a bonafide superstar. So there's just a lot of different angles what for both ends. What do the Suns look like if they get Oladipo and what does Oladipo's career look like if he's drafted by the Suns? It's a definite uh inflection point that I never thought of and it, it kind of started my brain in a whole bunch of directions when I heard McDonough say it. Speaking of that, I'm just curious of how Oladipo especially as number one pick, he definitely would have had at least, I think, three or four years to prove himself in the situation in Phoenix. Would he have been playing alongside Dragic at that point, though? Yeah, that was the 2013-14 season. That was the the Suns won too many games and tricked themselves that they were a good team season. So I, I guess, I mean, from what I can recall, Len didn't play much that year, and with how many guards were on the roster that season and then especially the next season with Isaiah Thomas around, Oladipo uh, wouldn't have had many opportunities, to be completely honest, far less than he did in Orlando, which hasn't had a point guard since Jameer Nelson, if if, if you even want to say he was a, a great point guard necessarily. So uh, Oladipo, I think, would have been really relegated to a pretty minor role. I wonder how that changes things for him. Yeah, I think it, it certainly would have been fun to have a guy like Oladipo here, but I think everyone likes the outcome here with Devin Booker and Phoenix for the next at least five years per his contract extension. But let me ask you this, Bren. Just when you think about Oladipo and Booker head-to-head as players, Booker's a supernova type of offensive talent. Oladipo's very good defensively. I think he's underrated offensively. They both have like, some good leadership qualities, and they're both around the same age here. I think Old Depot's about around three or four, three years older. What's your overall opinion of these two? If you had to go head to head between like how the team building aspects are, if you had Old Depot maybe in Booker's place. Yeah, I, we. I mean, I want to take a step back from there actually because we were kind of talking about this before when we were planning today's show. I don't think that if they if they were to have conducted this trade and then ultimately taken Oladipo number one if they got that pick I I think they still would have been fine taking Booker I think those guys fit pretty nicely together a lot of the the different descriptions we've tried to come up with for what type of player we think fits next to Devin Booker to me at least Oladipo checks a lot of those boxes defensive versatility 
pretty good ball ball handler, can at least share those duties with Devin Booker and has grown as an all-around offensive player over the course of his career. You know, we don't know what Oladipo would have looked like if he had been drafted here, and like we said, but you know, one, two seasons later, when they ultimately do draft Booker, I don't think they would have hesitated. I think they probably would have liked how those guys fit together. At least I would have. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think you have a defense first guy, like Oladipo, who would have molded well alongside a guy, Booker, who would have taken on the scoring duty there. A, a good combo guard combination, that's for sure. And um, with Oladipo, I was looking at their actual cumulative stats, Oladipo and Booker head to head, and they're actually very similar. I'm like, your thoughts on this, Brent? And I got to have you guess it, I guess, here. Player A, 18.4 assist percentage, 5.5 total rebound percentage, 1.2 steal percentage, only 27.7% usage. And then player B is 18.9 assist percentage, 7.6 rebound percentage. And you have the 2.6 steal percentage and 24.9 usage, which kind of gives it away there, I think, as far as who A and B are. Yeah, if I can sort through those numbers... Uh, I'm assuming A is Booker and B is Oladipo. Correct, yeah. And their true shooting percentages is 54.2 for Booker and 54.0 for Oladipo over the last two years. So they are very similar as far as what they've been doing outside of defense. It's really crazy to me how that explosion from Oladipo just came out of nowhere. Like, I mean, I know he, I'm probably underrating how he, how good he was in Orlando. I know that he did plenty. He got an $84 million contract, so it's not like the guy was just playing three minutes a game or anything. He was a good player, but nothing great. And, you know, for a number two overall pick, as much as we can use the 2013 draft order as a real way to, to gauge things, like he, he was underperforming, I think, relative to what we expected up until that Indiana season. And then he just, I mean, I don't think I've seen a guy in a long time, or at least in the NBA, just add so many different pieces to their game in one season that we had never seen before. It was crazy. I think it's as far as comparisons go, like late bloomers. I think we talked about this before with maybe it was John Bloom, maybe it was someone else, maybe it was Coles Wick around draft time. But I think a player like Mikhail Bridges could be a, someone like a Victor Oladipo type who has that work ethic, who puts in the work. And we see we saw a couple things last night, Brent, offensively, where you're like, he didn't have that in his game last year, like these hesitation moves and the pull-ups more consistently and confidently. I think if Mikhail fixes his shot, that's the big question right now. But if he does, I think he could be like an old depot type who consistently gets better as he ages. Yeah, I mean, it's funny to think too. I agree with you. I mean, uh, I I wholeheartedly agree that Mikhail has the potential to be somebody that kind of matures that way. And maybe, you know, if this team looks different in the future and he's asked to do a little more there, maybe we see it years from now or if he's on a different team heaven forbid that could could certainly happen as we saw with Oladipo but the 2013 draft in general is just interesting to look at from that standpoint because obviously the number one pick busted out that's Anthony Bennett which is why McDonough was talking about that on the just to give credit to it's the Scowl and Pals podcast which is new it's actually from the producer of the Ryan Rosillo podcast on ESPN which is how I like followed the Twitter account and everything, but that draft is full of guys who bloomed late. That's the Giannis, CJ McCollum, Rudy Gobert draft. I think that was at the Nikola Jokic draft too. Uh, all of those guys who kind of came along slowly because they were so unheralded, clearly having none of those guys be top 10 picks in this draft and all of them clearly being better than most of the guys taken in the top 10. 
uh, just fascinating to think when there's these these draft classes we think of as bad or thin or anything like that that really maybe the problem is the teams picking at the top can't develop the talent or identify the talent as well as some of the other teams because there's always good players to be found I think the 2019 class is a good example there uh, of, a, of a, a group of players we could see similarly and obviously the Suns are hoping that they can bring the most out of those guys too but uh, it's just funny looking back at that draft. I think Alex Len was actually a pretty okay pick when you think about it that way. Yeah, that class outside of Oladipo was not great, that's for sure. The top of it. Yeah, it, it takes a, a steep curve at the top when you look at Oladipo compared to whoever was drafted alongside him there. Yeah, Nerlens Noel. I don't even remember half of the other players that were taken in that top 10. I think Michael Carter-Williams was rookie of the year. There. Yes, there you go. That's one of them. That well, yeah, that the 2013 draft really what I think of when I think of it is the beginning of the process. That was when Hinky complete, you know, funny enough took over the same time as McDonough, but uh completely started his plan with dealing Drew Holiday that day and getting walking away from that draft with uh, Nerlens Noel as well as um Michael Carter Williams. So, yeah, weird draft. Bad draft for McDonough. I mean, like look, we're not going to cry for Ryan McDonough here but a not a great draft to start your career as a top executive in a franchise with either right that's a kind of a crappy one but um let's preview this I, I misspoke before when I was telling you we, we should preview the Portland game because that is the one maybe we can do both but the next game is Portland uh not Denver Denver is the home game before we do that though a quick reminder to subscribe to Locked on Suns wherever you find us We have listeners all over the place. I know there's a million podcast apps, but wherever you are, I'm sure there's a little button you can click that helps you keep track of our show whenever we put up a new episode. So Monday through Friday, we're trying to be more consistent with times as well, going up later in the night so you can be uh, sitting by your phone in the middle of the night if you'd like to, or it'll be right there for you in the morning. So subscribe to the show, and if you like what you're hearing, rate and review us as well. We appreciate the support, and we hope you're ready for the season like we are. The way that I've been thinking about these preseason games, to be honest, is just kind of what individual players might be able to be tested by or have an opportunity to prove based on the matchup they're playing. So when I think of this Portland game, to me, it's the thin, the thinness, like whatever that's called, the, the shallowness, the lack of depth from the Trailblazers at the forward spot. And when we say how bad Kelly Oubre looked, uh, on Thursday, I think he has an opportunity, as is Mikhail Bridges, to continue to make strides coming back from injury against really the the, the, the Trailblazers have nobody uh, that really can match up with either of those players. Yeah, we were talking about, I believe, in postgame of the last home game there, first one of the season for the Suns, and we were talking about in the locker room as far as their next opponent there at, for the Portland game and what kind of depth they'd have. And Outside of maybe Kent Bazemore and Nasir Little, is there anyone else? Like, I don't think there is. No, I mean, yeah, they have Rodney Hood, who will probably be starting for them. Um, but no, I mean, not not players that have the two-way ability and the size and athleticism of Ubre, especially. And really, you know, Mikhail Bridges should have a pretty easy time as well. So I hope that that is... An opportunity. I hope that they can actually make good on it. Um, but where are you looking? Is there anyone on Portland's roster that interests you? Is there anyone you think is going to be an interesting kind of one-on-one battle here? What, where's your brain as we head into this game? 
kind of an underrated one, I would say, but Anthony Simons versus Ty Drew, I think, could be a fun matchup because we've heard all through Portland so far this year, Anthony Simons is the player that's going to break out to the Jill and LeCue route going to prep school then straight to the NBA. So that's kind of a good model if you're the Suns to look at. If you hope LeCue can eventually be like a Simons-type player, Simons a first-round pick, LeCue was undrafted, of course, but Ty Jerome in the first few games, Brandon, has, has done really well as far as controlling the pace of the game and going against an athletic freak like a, an Anthony Simons who looks to be improving his game a lot. I, I'm just really curious to see how that matchup goes. Yeah, I'm interested in uh, Simons in general. Uh, he looked really good in Summer League. I made a point of watching him a little bit because there's just been so many different media members hearing that Portland is talking him up. So he looked every bit the part of a guy who can break out. I don't know if he will or won't, but preseason should be another indicator here for us. I'm also interested in Zach Collins. I just like him as a player a lot, and he's really not shown it at a high level yet, unfortunately. But especially with the guy we talked about after last night's the Thursday game against the Kings with how bad Dario Saric looked and is not really looking like a guy who had a summer of rest, really looking kind of tired, honestly. Collins is an interesting test. They're different players. Collins is a, is a much better athlete than Saric, and, uh, you know, Saric is more of a skill finesse shooter type, whereas Collins can kind of move around a little bit better and can his threes come along is that going to be a test the Suns have had a hard time defending the three-point line from bigs between Towns and Deadman. so the front court is is definitely something I'm watching and obviously we can't talk about the, the that position without hitting on Hassan Whiteside I don't know if he's playing in the preseason but uh Aiton Whiteside should be fun because I think that's somebody Aiton can take advantage of yeah that I think I remember this time last year, I think they had a couple of good matchups against each other, Whiteside and Aiden. So I think that could be just a fun little battle for 20 or so minutes in this one. But I've been thinking about this. I think we might be on the same page here. I just want your opinion on this one. But doesn't Portland seem like the kind of team that has plateaued at this point with the talent on their team? And they, they feel like the team at the deadline here, they feel like intentionally they might be doing this for in league circles, hyping up guys like Simons, hyping up guys like Zach Collins. I like Zach Collins, by the way. I think he's a really good player. But Simons and Collins for like a deadline deal, like let's say – they're at the 6-7 seed. They're on, they're on the verge of missing the playoffs in February. But they might be the team that maybe panics a little bit and trades Simons and Collins with a, like a, an expiring contract like a white side to Detroit or to Cleveland for like a Kevin Love or a Blake Griffin. Yeah, if anyone listened, well, and for those who did listen, we appreciate, I know people did listen to our playoff predictions episode. I have Portland on the outside. That's my, that's the hottest I'm willing to get with my takes for this year. Um, and I think, you know, that, spells a potentially extreme move because I think this is a team we all looked at that way before their playoff run last year they get to the conference finals because the playoff seating kind of broke their way in a massive way thanks in part to Simons who scored a million points on the final night of the year to clinch uh what was it the three seed or is that right yeah, they clinched the three seed and, and ended up avoiding the Utah-Houston bloodbath in the first round and, and emerged to play the Warriors. And they had the honor of getting eviscerated by the Warriors in the, in the conference finals, and they convinced themselves this summer that they didn't need to make a move like that. So do things change? I mean, I don't think the Suns preseason game will be the thing to show us that, but it is a fascinating team that is a lot different than in past years. I think we just got so used to that, uh, you know, Lillard, McCollum, Aminu, Harkless, and whatever center until Nurkic came around. 
that we kind of forgot that that's not forever and they have a very different looking team now so uh, I also am just so happy too that the Suns don't have to play these guys in the beginning of the regular season because I feel like it's just such a depressing match matchup every year. I feel like the, the Blazers just kill the Suns at the beginning of the season every year. That was obviously part of the Earl Watson um, sad parade to start out his final season with this team. So uh, avoid the Damian Lillard onslaught to start the year and get him out of the way in the preseason. That, that sounds pretty nice, I'm sure, for Suns fans. Yeah, if everyone remembers the 48-point loss from opening night, that was at the hands of the Portland Trailblazers a year or so ago, and that was certainly not a fun one, that's for sure, a couple years ago at this point. But anything else, Brent, as far as this game goes before we end today's episode? Because I feel like mostly we're going to maybe not see a lot of starting action from Portland. I feel like this might be like a rest kind of game for them. Just That's just my opinion here. I'm not, not insider reporting there as far as Portland resting guys, but I feel like it could be a game they don't take too lightly here in preseason. What do you, what, what's your overall opinion to this game? Yeah, no, I, I probably agree with you. They're just more of a veteran team. They don't have as much to prove in the preseason, although figuring out that forward rotation should be important to them, and I think it is. So maybe there is a little bit of, of an onus on those players at the very least between Hood and Collins and some of their unproven depth pieces, whether that's Nasir Little, are they finally going to play a rookie big minutes? That, I think, could be an interesting battle to watch. But uh, other than that, not really much. From the Sun side, though, between this game and Monday, which we won't be able to record before the Nuggets game at home, uh, Monty Williams has made it clear that he wants to use games three and four as much closer to a trial run of the rotation, of you know maybe unveiling and challenging his players with a little more schematically so I think we will see from the Sun side closer to the real deal than we have in the first two games so that's something to look forward to and I guess my last thought is let's just pray another team that eviscerated the Suns early last year let's pray just for our own entertainment's sake if nothing else that Nikola Jokic is it was like you know how they do game score for pitchers in the MLB they have that statistic yeah yeah yeah, I feel like Nikola Jokic's game score for the game, the triple double that he put up against the Suns at the beginning of last season, was would have broken the record if he was a starting pitcher. He was like eight of eight from the field for like twenty five points in a triple double and just embarrassed DeAndre Ayton. So let's hope that uh, the game looks a little closer to Ayton's big scoring night later in the year rather than the ugly one we saw to start out last season because that's a test and that's we talked about Towns being a test Nikola Jokic is a a different animal for DeAndre Ayton so that's what I'm watching for sure far and above anything else on Monday yeah Jokic is going to be for both of us I think he's our leading MVP candidate this year I don't know if anyone else on that train yet but I think Locked on Suns is pushing Jokic for MVP right now if we had to do preseason predictions but this has been a fun episode. If you want to go ahead and subscribe to Locked on Suns, you can go ahead and do so as well. But we want to let you guys know as well, we're very excited about the launch of our newest sports channel covering the NHL on the Locked on Podcast Network. As you know by listening to the show, we feature local experts covering the biggest news and now we're covering the ice with daily hockey podcasts featuring Locked on Coyotes. Check out the upcoming season preview for Locked on Coyotes and find your favorite NHL team on our website, LockedOnPodcast.com slash NHL. We'll have more NFL news for you, more NBA news for you tomorrow, and we'll We'll also have as well throughout the week more NBA coverage over on the Locked On NBA channel. So appreciate everyone listening on today's podcast. We'll be back with you guys on Monday for next episode. What's going on, everybody? My name is Seth Askelson, and I'm your host for Locked On Coyotes. 
at Locked On Coyotes is a new podcast about the Locked On Podcast Network and the new NHL uh, podcast section for Locked On. So we're excited to bring you the important Arizona Coyotes news and notes and all the happenings going on every day. It'll be a Monday through Friday podcast. You can tune in to me. Uh, my name is Seth Asperson, and uh, excited to bring you the news for a team that is looking to break out and become a playoff team in the Western Conference in 2019-2020, a team who last season just missed the playoffs by four points a devastating end to their season, but it's a new day. It's a new dawn and a lot of moves. A team that has the same basic core but added a couple key pieces. Phil Kessel, a guy who's scored nearly a point per game in his career, uh, at least every season in his career, nearly averaging a point per game in every season. And uh, Carl Soderberg showing up that depth at center. Um, hopefully Kessler can complement some of that, the youth movement there in Arizona with Clayton Keller. Keller hopefully having a bounce back season. Didn't have a terrible year last year, but maybe not as many points as a lot of people were expecting. Um, a team that was just decimated by injuries that is finally healthy entering the, the, the campaign. Through two games, they didn't have Auntie Ronta. Darcy Kemper, who may have been the starter either way, started those first two, but Ronta is back up with the team. We'll see what his role will be. you got to think that Kemper will start against Vegas so um, on Thursday, but for the Coyotes, uh, fully healthy for the first time in a long time, and they are ready to take over the Western Conference, a team that defends really well, maybe the best defense core from top to bottom. There isn't one guy that wouldn't be on an NHL roster in, in any other situation, but it's all about staying healthy for this team. Can this team get through a full season? where they're not rotating guys in and out of the lineup and not by this or by you know trying to switch lines or by trying to see who works it's just by necessity I think head coach Rick Tockett knows which guys are going to be best for his team night in nine out and it's one of those things where if they can stay healthy they'll have that lineup now they've kept up at least for the moment the uh, rookie phenom Barrett Hayton he has yet to get in a game obviously two games in but still has uh, nine games remaining before his next uh, or before his first year of his contract is taken off they can send him back to juniors back to the CHL we'll see what he does there last season they gave him the opportunity to stay up and practice a little bit with the team and it was one of those where they wanted him to get up to, to NHL speed and see what it looked like a day in the life of an NHL player almost and what it takes to prepare and what it, what the experience is like when it comes to practices and games and then they sent him back to the, the CHL back to juniors and uh, it was what a lot of people expected a lot of people didn't think he was to be up here that long so they sent him back and then this year up a little bit longer in terms of days so far I don't think they'll send him back anytime soon we'll see if he makes it in um, for Hayton I think it's one of those things where not sure how much more he can develop in the juniors so uh, we'll see how things play out there the Coyotes I think are in a great spot I think they could be the way they've played in the first two games. I think this could be the best team in the Western Conference. Now, I know Vegas is going to have something to say about that. Colorado will have say, have something to say about that. But if this team can find their goal streak, they can find a way to score, and this is going to be the team to beat in the Western Conference, at least in the regular season. So uh, to tune in again every day, Monday through Friday, to Locked on Coyotes. We're on Apple Podcasts now. That's huge news for us. You can follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Coyotes. Once again, that is LO underscore Coyotes. If you want to follow me personally on Twitter, that's at S Askelson 96. That's at S A S K E L S O N 96. And this show is about the fans. This show is about the listeners. So you let me know what you want to hear. You can direct tweet at me. You can direct tweet at the show. You can send direct messages. Whatever you want. I want you to tell me what you want to hear, and I will do my best to get you that knowledge. So um, 
Proud to be a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. The brand is one that is synonymous with great podcasts. Don't forget to tune in across uh, the entire, not only NHL Network, but the entire Locked On Network. And I'll be excited to bring you new Arizona Coyotes news. Your team, every day.